Well, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 is our sermon text. Hopefully you've already marked your spot there. The words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But let's look there together and uh, let's stand if you're able for the gospel reading. As we give a special attention to the voice of the king who speaks. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word, that it's true and living, active and powerful, that it penetrates to the very center of our being discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And Lord, you know all that's on our heart even better than we do. And you know how you need to speak to our hearts today. And so we open our ears and hearts to hear your voice and to receive from you. And we ask that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good always. Lord, would you move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I failed to mention earlier as I was making my announcements, you know, I've joked that I I have notes in front of me and it's just like the teleprompter. I mean, uh, they could put anything on there, I would probably say it and wouldn't say whatever's not on there and I... I failed to uh, offer a special greeting this morning to Elliot Tepper, who's with us today. Welcome, Elliot, from, uh, from a great distance across the ocean. We're always glad to have you with us. And I know you all are glad to know when he's here, so you can just set upon him at the end of the service with great affection. And uh, he's, he's beloved among us. And uh, we're, we're always glad you're here, brother, and bless you in the name of Jesus and all that you're doing uh, through Battelle. Well, among the uh, newsworthy events of 2022, you know, it's, we're winding down the year and we're getting ready. Very, very soon we'll be seeing all the year in review kind of things, right? The, 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 the photos or video shots and that kind of thing of the year in review. And among the newsworthy events of 2022 that will surely be on some of those lists was the death of Queen Elizabeth II. She was, as many of you know, the longest reigning British monarch, the second longest reigning monarch in world history. I think as 
far as history knows. And I suspect that if you were to go out on the street uh, in, in any city in America and just randomly stop people and, uh, and show a picture of her, most people would know who she was. And most people would have some sense, at least very generally, of why she's significant or important. But what if you showed the same people a picture of Prince Philip? Some of you, many of you are maybe asking, which one is he? Is he the one that hung out with Epstein? No, 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 that's a, that's a different prince. Prince Philip was Elizabeth's husband. He actually uh, died just a year before her. In fact, he was the longest serving um, consort of any monarch in history. He died at the age of 99. They had a long, uh, precious marriage. But Philip was Elizabeth's husband, and that's what he's known for, and by many, many people, he's not even known for that. And I, I think that's very similar to the way that we regard Joseph, right? It's very similar to the position Joseph had. In fact, he, even the passage we read right now and, then, and uh, shortly before this, it says, Joseph, the husband of Mary... That's who Joseph was. That's why he's known he was the husband of Mary. And I mentioned in a very brief newsletter article, if you saw that this week, just that fact that, it, you know, we don't know much about him from the scriptures. He's not mentioned much, but he's, he's mentioned less by us than he is even in the scriptures. Uh, he, just, he just doesn't register. It's very highly regarded. And I said we kind of think of him maybe like, you know, having a significance like the team manager on a college basketball team. You know, like you know he must be important for some reason. He's always in the team photo. He's always around, you know. But you're not really sure what he does and maybe even think unconsciously that he could be easily replaced by somebody else. Again, we're probably not conscious of those kinds of things, but he just doesn't get a lot of air time. But he had uh, a really great significance in really the whole scheme of history as it would turn out and uh, made a really invaluable contribution to Jesus, to the Christian faith, to the, to the life of the church. And so I just want to really take the opportunity as we are reading this passage this morning to focus our attention just a bit on Joseph's contribution. That what was his significance beyond just being Mary's husband who's always in the family photos? Well, first of all, he's significant because Joseph gave Jesus his Davidic family line. Or in other words, if, you, if that word is unfamiliar... Um, He's in the family line of King David. It was a messianic family line, that royal family line. The genealogy in the first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel really are given primarily to establish that very point. 
there's other things we get from that genealogy as well that are really insightful about, you know, Jesus' heritage on an earthly level. But it's principally given to us to really establish this point that Jesus is of the line of David. One of Matthew's priorities in writing his gospel, with some of the emphases you get in Matthew that you don't get in other gospels are um, just sort of bringing home and, and, and highlighting these ways in which uh, Jesus could be proved to be the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And that's why he frequently says things like he said here in verse 23, and this took place to fulfill what was spoken, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23 is one example of that, the first in Matthew's gospel, but there's lots of those in Matthew's gospel. And, and one of his priorities is to bring that point home to the reader. That Jesus was the Messiah, and, and there, there are just different little ways in which that was highlighted in his life that fulfilled what was written by the prophets. And so, so Matthew lays out this genealogy and explains how Joseph was a direct descendant of David and therefore in the Messianic line. And that's why in verse 20, the angel refers to him as Joseph, son of David. And Luke 2, in that account of the birth narrative, says he was of the house and lineage of David. This is a point um, that they don't want the readers to miss. He's, he's of the lineage of David, and he's of David's house, and Jesus became part of his house. And so it's an absolute necessity that the Messiah come, uh, it'd be of the line of David. The promise in the Old Testament was that God would put one of David's descendants on the throne forever. The Messiah that they expected was going to be a descendant of David. This was, this was an absolute necessity in proving that the Messiah really was the Messiah. And so Joseph made that absolutely invaluable contribution to Jesus and, and therefore to the church and to the world. You know, I thought about um, it, it, would be a, it would be an interesting creative writing assignment to, to sort of think of how the story might have played out if Joseph had walked away after this discovery. When he was, had resolved in his heart to put her away quietly, what if he did? And he left the picture. How might the story have unfolded after that? Well, one of the things we know for absolute certain is that God would have replaced Joseph with somebody else from the line of David because the Messiah had to be from the line of David. That's Joseph's number one most obvious key contribution to the whole story of who Jesus is and what he'd done. He, uh, he gave him his Davidic family line. But secondly, I said here that Joseph provided godly leadership. 
actually originally said that, Jesus, that Joseph provided a godly home. That might be a little bit more of a, um, I might have to step a little farther to draw that conclusion, but I want to point out the reasons why quite, I think, undeniably here um, that we can say Joseph provided for his family godly leadership. And there are four reasons I say that. In fact, what I'll say, uh, th- these, these four things are right there in the text and, and, and those I think would be hard to deny. You can decide for yourself because you're smart people whether I've uh, made therefore a, go- a reasonable conclusion that he provided godly leadership as a father and a husband. But four reasons for that. Number one, that he was just. He was a just man. It says that explicitly in verse 19, or at least here in the ESV. And that word translated as just in the ESV means that he lived in accordance with the law of God. In fact, in, if you have the NIV, it uses the phrase that Joseph was faithful to the law. He was a just man in that respect, that he was aligned with the law of God. He was a man who earnestly endeavored to live by God's word. Not begrudgingly, not reluctantly, not legalistically. He was a just, righteous man, faithful to the law of God, governed by what was right in God's eyes. And being a smart man too, Joseph knew by and large the way he could know what was right in God's eyes was because God had said it and it had been written down. He was was a man given to alignment with the word of God, governed by that. And so isn't isn't it reasonable to assume Um, That the way their family lived and worshipped and worked and loved one another was governed by the Word of God. This is what, what, what Joseph brought to the family that Jesus was raised in. Was just a, a godliness and a uh, earnest commitment to live the way God said to live. And, and again, let's don't underestimate the significance of that because I think one of the problems we have, because we know that, that Jesus is the Son of God, because we know that he is fully God, I think we kind of unconsciously put the, the, the fully man part a little bit over on the shelf sometimes as if, um, you know, that, that, that Jesus was just like Superman wearing human clothes. He had a real human nature. As a boy, he learned. He grew. He was cared for. Luke 2.52 says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He He grew and he learned, and he learned from Joseph. Joseph, who was a carpenter, or at least a builder, he may have been stonemason and a carpenter, 
you probably haven't, maybe haven't heard that before, anyway, what, what, what that, that word means. But anyway, he was, a, he was a carpenter. Jesus was the son of a carpenter. And it says in Mark uh, chapter 6 that Jesus himself was a carpenter. He learned a trade from Joseph, right? Joseph was the man who modeled for Jesus all kinds of things, including skilled labor. And so he was a just, godly man who lived according to God's word and modeled that in his household. The second way in which he provided God, godly leadership is he was, he was kind and merciful. Verse 19 goes on to say, and you caught it, this is familiar to you all. But he was not only a just man, but unwilling to put her to open shame. So he resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph and Mary were betrothed. Many of you have heard that status. Bet betrothal was something a step or two above and beyond engagement. That it was a a legally binding sort of arrangement that to get out of it, you would have to divorce. And so um, he, he, they were betrothed to one another. And he saw, and Mary had spent a few months with Elizabeth after she got the word from the angel about her conception. And she came, she, she came back three months later. And she's showing. And Joseph's noticing. I mean, can you imagine that conversation? But he, you know, he, Joseph is sort of thinking through, what do I do here? Complicated situation. Because being a man who was faithful to the law, he knew the law gave him a few options. He could disgrace her. And he could have done as much as possible to ruin her life and reputation. In fact, the law allowed her to be stoned for what was an apparently an act of adultery. In the first century under Roman rule, the Jews really didn't have the freedom to carry out the death penalty very much, and so they might not have actually been able to pull that off. But see, he could, he could have tried to destroy her in every way possible. And many of you have seen or even experienced how nasty divorce situations can get, right? I mean, the kind of ugliness that divorce can bring out of people the, the spite, the hatefulness, the hurtfulness from people you've always known to be good people. And you, and you just see this beast uh, emerge because of this hurt and anger, you know, deep in some, inside of somebody. And so it would, it would probably be almost... Normal to expect the default response of somebody like Joseph would be to run her through the ringer, right? To, to, to just make it as miserable and painful 
and shameful as possible. Many men would have done it that way. And he could have done it. He could have also divorced her privately. The law allowed for that with just a couple of witnesses. And he could have, he could have married her. Those were his three options. As a man who's faithful to the law, he knew he had those options. And initially he considered the whole matter here and decided on the second of those options. That he would put her away quietly. And of course the angel would help him change his mind. But listen, his unwillingness, un, he was unwilling to put her to shame. And that unwillingness to put her to shame reveals he was a kind and merciful man. I thought about the fact, you may you remember the uh, verse from Micah 6, 8, and I won't quote it exactly, but you know, what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. It occurred to me that's exactly the man that Joseph was. Do justice, love mercy. And he was a kind and merciful man. Uh, you know, in our day and age, um, the kind of justice that a lot of people want to see exacted, that kind of justice has no mercy. Are you, are you picking up on that in the world? I mean, the, the people who are crying for justice all the time don't really want justice, they want vengeance. Right? It's, it's very much retaliatory, um, unappeasable. But there, for, you can bet for sure there is no forgiveness in it. It's how you have the, the, the kind of environment we have in cancel culture so-called. Where, you know, there are offenses you commit and there is no coming back. There is no forgiveness for them. There is no mercy in that kind of justice. But see, mercy is not uh, mutually exclusive with justice. And, and Joseph was a just man who was kind and merciful. Third thing was he was obedient. He was just, he was kind and merciful, and he was obedient. And we're talking about, once again, is... Uh, that, that Joseph provided as a husband and a father. He provided godly leadership. He modeled godliness. He lived and loved in a godly way. And, and one of the ways he did that was he was, he was obedient. It was while he was thinking through how he could navigate through this whole situation and divorce Mary in the most dignified way. An angel appeared and said, do not be afraid of taking Mary as your wife. Her child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She'll have a son, and you will call his name Jesus. You will, the angel said, call his name Jesus. He's your son. He's going to belong to you. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. 
You know, there's a similar account in Luke chapter 1. In fact, I sort of touched that briefly, uh, I guess, last week. But where an angel had appeared to Mary and had told her similar things about she was going to conceive. Um, he was going to be great. Essentially, that he's going to be the Messiah. And she'll, she'll call his name Jesus. That would have a way of being really confidence-boosting, wouldn't it? If you, the two of you got together and compared notes and say, hey, listen, I, all right, I'm going to stick this thing out. And um, this angel told me it's going to be a boy. We're supposed to name him Jesus. <gasps> An angel told me the same thing. That would have a way of really boosting your confidence, at least that you're hearing from the Lord, wouldn't it? But he, he did. He just he woke up and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And so now Joseph knew that Mary had not been with another man. He knew. She knew. But nobody else knew. When you think about the, 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 just the difficulties of living out those kinds of circumstances. And again, it's not written into the text. We don't really know how that played out. But we know how it's played out all the rest of history. We know what, what people are like all the rest of time and the way people make assumptions and the way people gossip and so on and so forth. I mean, what, would, what, was, what was dinner like over at the extended family's house during that season of time? You know, what were people saying Well, they weren't, they weren't buying the story for sure. I, I mean, it just it seems to me not everybody at least was buying the story. Probably most people weren't buying the story. The Holy Spirit's the Father. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. You see, cause, cause, because they're, they're, they're walking into the assumptions and, and insinuations and accusations and so forth that either... She's an adulteress. Or both of them. You know, have, have sort of jumped the gun on this. That, that he's the father that both of them have sinned. But either way, there's not a good version of that that anybody else is writing. And yet he's obedient and walks right into all the uncertainties, the questions, the rumors, the accusations, and so on the scorn that might have followed. Number four, well, it's number D, isn't it, on the, uh, on the slide. But the other way, the fourth way in which he provided godly leadership, as I said, he, is just he loved sacrificially. Because given all that I just said about what he was agreeing to here and what he was walking into with Mary, the very fact that he set aside his own interest there, that he could, he could have just walked away and say, you know what, this, this one doesn't seem to be starting out very well. I don't know if I want to start a marriage out on this note. I'm just going to make a clean break and I'll, I'll, I'll get a do-over. I'll take a mulligan on this one for all the golfers, you know. But the very fact that he walked right into that was an expression of sacrificial love. He set aside his own interests. 
his reputation, and so on. Even to the point, you know, it, it impacted their wedding night even. If you, if you sort of followed all the way down below there in verse 25, it said, and he knew her not until she had given birth. You know, the kind of wedding night that most grooms look forward to, Joseph didn't, didn't have that sort of wedding night. And not as if that's the most important thing in the world, but, my, but the point is, there, were, there was a cost to loving decisively and actively in this way. Sacrificial. And that's what, that's what love is, and that's what love does. It's, it costs our self-interest, our preferences, our comfort, and so on. Real love, godly love, Christian love is costly and sacrificial. It says, as you know, God so loved the world that he gave his own son that Jesus, the son, loved the church so much that he gave himself In fact, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, that familiar passage about that though he, the son, was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to cling to, but he made himself nothing. Taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in human appearance, humbled himself to the point of death. Even death on a cross. That's really, that's the story of the incarnation. That's a Christmas story. That the Son of God, eternally existent as the second person of the Trinity, who's, who, who was the rightful possessor of all the glories of heaven, didn't assert his right to hang on to any of that, but set it aside and made himself nothing. That is sacrificial love. Do you get that? And do you just get undone by that? Do you ever meditate on that long enough to just be undone by it? That's what love is. That's what love does. Certainly from a biblical standpoint, a New Testament standpoint. And parents know it in all kinds of ways too, right? I mean, just to love your children means giving up all kinds of things. And taking on all kinds of burdens in some cases. Taking on burdens that nobody else understands even if they know, quote unquote. Even if they know the, the sort of bullet points, the, the picture of what the circumstances are, they don't, they don't understand what really the cost of loving as a parent is. The, the point is, that's just what love calls us to. And, and one of the things that I uh, almost chuckle at here, just makes me grin, is you think about it, you take that principle, we read in Ephesians 5 about 
marriage and it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the call to every Christian husband. You love as Christ loved. He gave himself for you. You give yourself for your wife. That's what Christian love is. Giving of oneself for the good of the other. And I love the fact that before Christ was even born, Joseph, the husband of Mary, the man who would raise Jesus, loved his wife that way. He, he gave himself and entered into her hardship, took on hardship that otherwise he could have just brushed off and walked away from. But he loved sacrificially. He was a godly man. He was a good man. Joseph was a good man. And, and, and the contribution that that made in the human life of the boy Jesus, we, we can't really know because it's not written. But I think it's really reasonable to infer from that um, that he made a profound impact on the life not only of Jesus, but really their other children and certainly on his wife. And there are so many lessons that we can draw from that um, and, and, and apply it maybe in a devotional sense. But one of the things that I just wanted to highlight, it's a, it's a bit of an aside or a, a, a footnote or a kind of a, a little sub-message on its own, but it's just this. Good men do hard things. Good men do hard things. Joseph did the hard thing. Why? Because he was just, because he was kind and merciful, because he was obedient, but because he loved sacrificially. And that's hard sometimes. And I'll tell you what, that is a message that young men need in 2022. Is that good men do hard things, and we need some good men to be raised up in the next generation. In spite of all of the just flapping that people do, you know, just, just making little of or mockery of manhood and masculinity and so on and so forth, in spite of all that, that men would just put on the, the sort of the ear, put in the earplugs and don't be moved by that at all and live justly and mercifully and humbly and obediently. And that will certainly cost along the way, it will certainly be hard. 
but it will always be good to live in accordance with God's law um, and obediently and with a heart that reflects the very heart of Jesus. Well, as I said, there's a, in, in that way a little bit of a parenthetical special application uh, to men. It really applies to any, any believer who's going to try to live the way God orders and love the way God loves. <laughs> That's just hard. And it's costly. But it's what we're called to. And we can, uh, we can thank God that the, the story of the beginning of Jesus' life, this otherwise sort of just front matter in the story that we read about and then move on from and then we don't see a whole lot more from Joseph, we can, we can know for certain he made an invaluable contribution to the life of Jesus by giving him his Davidic line, by giving him a godly example or godly leadership. And perhaps the encouragement to all of us would be um, that there is great, immeasurable contribution to be made in just doing the ordinary things faithfully. Now, I can be sure of this. I'm not sure of a lot of things. I can be sure of this, that none of you nor I am going to be the parent of the Messiah. So your, your ordinary obedience is not going to be extraordinary in that respect. We can know at least it's a notch down from there. But that there is a great contribution to be made by the sovereign hand and providence of God just through godly, obedient, faithful people doing the ordinary things over and over and over again. In obscurity, the only reason we know who Joseph is is because he was Mary's husband. But he was a godly man, a humble man, a merciful man, an obedient man. Apart from that. And it's true of many people, even sitting right here today, that history won't remember. But the people that we've made the most personal, intimate, closest impact upon will. And that's how generations are changed through the ordinary. Well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this little bit of the story. Of a really, really special godly man. Who just lived well. Who loved well. Who surely cared well. For the boy Jesus and all the other children in that house who cared well, provided well for Mary and the whole household. Thank you, Lord, for that part of the story and the great contribution that he made to the life of Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord, indeed, for the gift you gave us in your Son and the gift that he gave in making himself nothing for our sake. Lord, I pray that that truth would penetrate the hearts of people, even this morning, turn lives upside down or right side up by a revelation of that truth. In Christ's name, amen.